welcome back to uh, an episode of the Culture Capture Spotlight podcast. Um, I'm Joe, and I'm on the phone today with uh, producer Billy Hoyle. Billy, like, thanks again for coming on here. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, again, like, when we were thinking about the show and, and guests, like, you kind of immediately came to mind because... I just know about like your history and your stories and kind of what you've what you've seen throughout like the music industry. So like I guess the first thing I wanted to ask is like, you know, how long have you been making beats? Like when can you think back to like your first beat and like, you know, your first pack you ever sent yeah, out? I, I uh oh, hold on, I think I might have just lost you. Give me just oh, Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can I hear you. I, we can hear you. I think I just lost you in my headphones. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my first beat was probably around like 2010 or so. Um, I started playing trombone when I was in fourth grade. Um, that's when you could start playing band and at least Pittsburgh and, and like a school band and everything. Um, I already had like a natural, I, I gravitated towards music pretty naturally. And uh, yeah, I chose trombone just because I thought it was an interesting instrument. Um, yeah, I think throughout history or just when I was growing up, we knew or heard names of trumpet players, uh, things of that nature. And there were a lot of people that I was growing up with that wanted to play trumpet. So I just kind of just countered it with trombone and got in there. And uh, at sixth grade, I started playing drums. And I played that through middle school and all the way through high school. Um, After I graduated high school, I didn't really know how to transition into continuing to make music. Um, I didn't really want to be in a band because I was really just gravitated towards hip-hop my whole entire life. And I didn't really know how to incorporate what I had already been doing musically into that. Um, So I started, like, blogging and just, like, kind of doing some journalism on music before I realized that I could, you know, download software and get hardware and sort of have my own money where I could make my own beats. And uh, I really think around 2010 is when I really first made my first beat. So like in 2010, like how old were you then? Uh, That was like late teens, for me yeah okay and like you yeah, guys that people, was like can right out of- people can do the math it's 2021 so you've yeah. been making music for luckily like 15-ish years producing for 10 that's really cool because like i know when we were talking you were telling me about how like pittsburgh um has a big kind of jazz scene there and like it's very popular too and like you know how were how you like your draw to hip-hop like where do you think that kind of stemmed from like was it just seeing like cult- culture and, and different stuff growing up or yeah, it was just my generation's music, you know, um, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I'm a nine, I'm a nineties kid. So I was too young for what many people consider like the golden years really, because I, I was really just a child, but then like early two thousands, that was just like the music of our generation you know, and that was the natural pull. And then, you know, I had a really, I was raised by my grandparents. So I had a pretty difficult time at first kind of translating that to them, like the importance of it. And, you know, they just didn't necessarily understand hip hop. Hip hop was really in its like infancy stages in a lot of ways. 
um, especially in a mass consumption um, style. You know, they didn't really understand that. And then as music was progressing and I, I kind of got a little bit more into hip hop and just understanding producers and samples and things of that nature, I was able to identify um, samples that I had heard from my grandparents in hip hop. And that kind of bridged the gap, um, you know, for them to kind of accept or understand maybe and see how things were coming full circle for music. And just, you know, they, they understood a little bit more of why I was identifying to it. Yeah, like how how hard was it at first to kind of get like your grandparents' support? Like a lot of days now, like kids kids and going coming out of college and, and high school, like when they're trying to enter their you know career, mm-hmm. it's hard to really get like your parents' support if it's not like your typical run of the mill. Like I'm gonna just go get a degree and dip out and hit the work field, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was when I was in those like early teen years and everything. I don't, you know. I don't know why I needed, I I felt so much that I needed like their approval or permission or that they needed to like or understand the music that I was listening to and drawn to. Um, But as I got older and they saw it wasn't really a phase, it was just kind of something they accepted. Um, Not, you know, they might not have always been like thrilled about it. Like me, you know, I was going to shows pretty young and and things like that and they might always been thrilled about it but they kind of saw that it was what i was going to do one way or the other um you know and kind of in a pacifistist way it was just kind of like you know why fight it i wasn't getting into trouble or anything like that yeah it's one of those things like i don't know i've noticed it with myself you know and like the people around me it's one of those things where it's like we're just going to keep working you know what i'm saying and like Mm -hmm keep getting results and it's like when you when that i feel like when you probably can say the same thing when you keep getting results and you you start to meet certain people like you know that those like same concerns like your you know guardians or parents have about like entering the music industry like they kind of go away pretty quickly you know yeah 100 percent. you know and and you know ultimately i think my grandparents and and really any parent or guardian they just want you to be happy, healthy, and safe. And I, I really wasn't showing my grandparents maybe the best examples for them to feel that way about the music. You know, I was like a really big 50 Cent fan, really big Dipset fan, like that mixtape era. And I was trying to sell them like on the wrong music. Like there's no <laughs> reason, you know, that they, they should have felt good about the music that I was showing them. <laughs> You know, in hindsight, yeah. it was, you know, a little silly for them to hear a 12-year-old playing them not music and then just be like, yeah, this is fucking tight, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just trying they, to picture, they, like, your teenage self with, like, your grandparents, and it's just like, Ooh. Yeah, their, their concerns were extremely validated, you know? And, yeah. and as, as I approach my, like, teenage, teenage years and early 20s you know i i just had a better understanding of where they were coming from and you know that's all part of it is just meeting people halfway and and them seeing one that this is very fulfilling um them understanding that this was the music of our generation you know because in the early 2000s when i'm showing it to them in in their mind like in their bubble of which they live 
hip hop had really just started to come out the last few years. You know, they're like on the radio in mm-hmm. their world. It, it had just started. So, you know, they're worried about longevity of things. They're worried about, you know, me actually have a career in things, everything like that. All their concerns were super validated, but you know, just as you mentioned is you stick with things and, um, you know, people kind of come around or understand more and, you know, success is defined by you. And, you know, you could have a really small success that to somebody else isn't anything, but to you, it can mean the world. And, you know, when people start to see that and, and things of that nature, they become more understanding or even just, you know, they understand maybe they're not going to change you and, uh, you know, become more accepting of that. Yeah. And like, to kind of transition now, like you've been in Pittsburgh. You, were you born in Pittsburgh or did you move yeah. to Pittsburgh? No, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh originally. Yeah. So you've, I'm from the suburbs, probably about like 10 miles out. But, you know, my grandparents were born and raised in Pittsburgh. Um, I believe my great grandparents were as well. I know that Pittsburgh was always home to them as far as being born. I think they might have been first generation Americans. So. Mm-hmm. You know, but Pittsburgh's always been home for my family. Yeah, and you're obviously you're there now. And mm-hmm. um, how I was introduced to you, um, you know, you were the gatekeeper of the Pittsburgh uh-huh. music scene. Um, you know, to tell everybody else, you've you've had the privilege to work with uh, Mac Miller, uh, Wiz Khalifa, uh, Jams, The Flavor Child, uh, Beatle, and dozens, dozens more artists um, mm-hmm. across your career. Um, I first want to talk about before we kind of get into Mac and Wiz and and your stories there. I kind of want to get into like Pittsburgh's like you know rap uh, hip hop like scene. And I want to I want you to kind of talk about um, like the one story you were telling me uh, in my living room about how you you were saying you were working with an artist or there was an artist in Pittsburgh or whatnot who like something about like the Chicago drill and like I don't know you'll probably know what I'm talking about from there. Yeah, so my introduction to like the Pittsburgh scene was when I was in high school. I didn't really know or even think that there were local scenes at that point. Like, you know, we definitely had the internet back then, but as far as like social media, uh, it was pretty limited. Like, I was in high school when MySpace came out. Uh, so that was like kind of the first introduction to social media in general and also how we started finding out that there were local artists. Um, there was a group called the GOV or the government and they were like kind of the premier act in Pittsburgh at the time. Um, a lot of the, you know, the, the two of the three members of that are still very active and everything. Um, but yeah, that was like the first introduction that there was even a scene in Pittsburgh and being that age and seeing that there were people in Pittsburgh making, you know, music, and it was just really, really good music. It spoke to anyone in Pittsburgh as well as outside there. And they're making real moves. You know, they had mixtapes hosted by Case Blair. They had features from dudes like Jadakiss and and Sheik and, and Styles P and Sean Price and things like that. I, and it was just really, really cool to see. And then not too long after that, Wiz started popping up a lot. You know, he was like becoming this next premier act out of Pittsburgh. And, you know, at that age, um, 
we just really, really gravitated towards that. There was a kid not too much older than us that was coming out of Pittsburgh that was just making really great music that, um, you know, spoke to us just as like young Pittsburgh kids. Um, and that was really like my introduction to the scene. But where I was living at the time, it, you know, it just, times were different then. You know, right now you can go to Guitar Center, buy a mic for maybe $100. And if you have a MacBook, you already have uh, GarageBand on it. Um, the accessibility, and you know, you can YouTube how to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And when I was a teenager, we just didn't really have that. You you had to find someone who knew how to do all those things at the time. So it just made it seem like what they were doing was so unachievable to someone like me. Um, and really the way I got involved in the scene personally was just by going to shows and meeting people and understanding that there were stores in Pittsburgh that carried the type of clothing that I was looking for and carried the type of music that I was looking for and things like that. Um, The main store in Pittsburgh for that, like what's always been the mecca of Pittsburgh hip hop is this store time bomb. And it was this, you know, really exclusive clothing boutique, Um, my friends and I started shopping there a lot, you know, when we were young, we didn't have much money. So we were really just going down and buying mixtapes, both local and industry Mm mixtapes, uh, just really bullshitting with the owner. Um, his name's Brick Diggler and, you know, forming a relationship with him. And, you know, when someone like Jams or you or really anyone you know, crowns me like this gatekeeper of Pittsburgh hip hop. It's wild to me because that's what brick always was to us. Mm -hmm. And, and to take that on, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense, but you don't want to like give yourself that title. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just getting involved in the scene there and like brick was everything, you know, you might be in there and you wouldn't know who was going to walk in, you know, it might be a member of Wu-Tang, you know, he might get a call from 50 cents, and they're discussing business. He was just like this larger than life person. You're like, how is this dude in Pittsburgh tied in with all these people, you know, and just sticking around there, like naturally he eventually hired me on in like 2010, 2011. Um, I was doing photography and I was blogging and my blog at the time was doing really, really well. What I was doing was mainly covering Pittsburgh hip hop using my knowledge of music from being in band, playing instruments and covering Pittsburgh hip hop in a way that not a lot of people were. And then also incorporating um, maybe more established artists or artists outside of the city uh, to draw attention to the blog as well. So it wasn't only Pittsburgh hip hop and only people from Pittsburgh were checking out the blog, you know, and so Brick and um, Katie, Katie Smokes Hydro, she was the other um, staff member at, at Time Bomb. You know, they saw value in bringing me in. They had their own blog. They were always taking photos of their clothing, either for the website or, or their blog, um, you know, live action. So they saw, like, the value in bringing me in. And that's when I really got, some, you know, really, really submerged in the scene and 
meeting all these different people that I had looked up to, you know, pretty much my entire life, um, both people from Pittsburgh and, you know, we would often bring in, um, you know, other acts like Static Selecta. Static would do an in-store like once a year and we would have them DJ at the after party, um, you know, DJ Green Lantern as well, Tony Touch. Um, when artists were doing tours in Pittsburgh, they would do the meet and greet at Time Bomb, you know, so just meeting people like that and and not just meeting them and seeing these people that are really passionate about their craft, but also just learning how to exist in a space with people like that, you know, because mm-hmm. you you can't be like just a complete fan, you know, how you might want to because you're, you know, you're working with them, you're there with them for eight hours while they're doing this meet and greet and they need to feel comfortable and, and someone like gawking over them or something like that. Uh, that doesn't make anyone really comfortable in those situations. Right. Uh, you know, so just kind of learning how to, you know, that's really where I, I learned to become uh, a young man at like 19 and 20 years old, being around these living legends, you know, and it, it's really overwhelming at first. Um, but, you know, you just eventually find this groove and realize that these are all just regular people. You know, they're, it's just anyone walking in, uh, just off the street and, you know, just also being respectful. But then that you learn how to just treat people in general, treat people with respect. And, uh, you know, you're there, you're giving those people their flowers, but you're also not just like hovering over them and giving them a million compliments or anything like that. You know, you're just, you're just being cool. So yeah, yeah. that introduction to the scene was crazy because, you know, a year, two years before that, I didn't even realize how music was ever going to factor into my life again, outside of just being a fan, you know, and you get in like this small inner circle and you meet all these people that you look up to who are doing it. And that's really how I learned how I could make beats and the software to download and things like that. And it just speaks to me where it's like, you hear a story like that, you know, and like, you know, you know, the accolades you've hit. It's like, that's why music is more than just like songs. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's culture. And like, you know, you're getting your chances and like, you got your foot in the door through like a hype store, a sneaker store. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's so many other people who like get their foot in the door because they got a camera or like they can shoot video or you know, they just know how to like be cool, you know, and it's like, it's just really, really interesting to me where it's like, you know, in this industry, you can, you can get your big break and like so many people get their big break in ways like you wouldn't expect, you know what I mean? And it's not like they had to go like run around the planet without sneakers on or something just like insane to get their opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And and the, the real wild thing with me and like the segue or like the, the movement, uh, within there, it was just like how organic it was. Like, you know, I wasn't, I was just talking to Brick about local hip hop and about golden era hip hop and what I liked. And, you know, I was a really, I was a really, really young kid. And a lot of the kids my age weren't listening to what I was talking to him about, mm-hmm. you know, and that wasn't strategic. It was just what I was drawn to. And I wasn't in there asking him for a job or, or you know, begging him for a job. Like, a, you know, some, you know, he got that a lot. People understood what time bomb were. So he got a lot of people in there. Like, 
hire me, things like that. And uh, mine was just really organic. And then who I rubbed elbows with there and everything, you know, was also really organic. And, you know, you have to understand, like, a lot of these artists, people gravitate towards them because they have something to offer, you know, and, and they get a lot of people around them who were only there because they have something to offer because they want something from them. And with my role in learning those things really early in, in time bomb, um, you know, I, I understood that there was a negative part of being around like that. And I understood that, you know, just be around these people will treat them like humans. And I didn't want anything from anyone. I wasn't asking for anything for from anyone. And naturally that that created friendships and bonds um, that, you know, eventually led to um, working with people. You know, it, I wasn't looking to work with them at first. I was just naturally, you know, being around, being a supporter, being a fan, seeing where I could help out. And, and through that, when I got better with music, it just made sense. Oh, this is my boy. Now he makes really dope beats. You know, it makes sense to work with him. There's not going to be, you know, tension. This dude isn't somewhere else. He's right here with me. And uh, we already have this friendship. We can work on music. And that's really how certain things with Wiz and Mac played out. I was just a dude from around the way that was cool, that wasn't trying to be like in anyone's pocket around anyone's coattails and um naturally that just led to opportunity when i got more into actually creating music and um you know being in those circles yeah i mean that's like again it's a nice segue like you know how how did the opportunities we'll start with mac like how did how did that come about like when did you when did you get a call or did you meet him per like in person like how did it kind of go like the first you know days of kind of meeting and then starting to work with Mac. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like, it's kind of all gray because it, I never looked at it like that. Like there wasn't, you know, when I first, when I, you know, going back to those days, Mac and BD were in a duo called the ill spoken. Um, they rapped together and they were making moves in the city um, and it was, you know, it was a good couple years before like kids came out and, uh, the beat bully LP came out, you know, they were moving around there in the city and naturally like you just bump into people, you know, Pittsburgh isn't that big of a city. It, um, a lot of people think it's bigger than it really is just because of our sports teams. Um, but it's not that big. And it's like, if you're moving around in those circles and you're going to shows, and, you know, you're going to smaller shows, larger shows, you're going to bump into people. You know, you're going to bump into people that you're fans with or fans of really, really easily. And uh, just like maybe like 2008, 2009, I started knowing those dudes. And we had mutual friends. Um, we had mutual friends that went to school together, things of that nature. So I just kind of knew those dudes. And, um, you know, they kept pushing Mac and BD both went solo and, you know, it just kind of went from there, but now there was like no call. I mean, the stuff with Mac wasn't even necessarily like Mac reaching out or anything like that. It was just right place, right time. Hey, we're going to be driving past the college you go to, um, you know, maybe, maybe you want us to pick, uh, pick you up and you can take some photos at the show. 
things like that. Like I never worked with Mac really on a musical level. You know, I was taking photos of him at shows and, and I was blogging about him really early. And kind of what happened is once more blogs started to pick him up and he was getting bigger, you know, he would still show my blog love. And those early most open Mac fans, um, you know, some of them just kind of like tied us in being closer than we really were. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was the dude that was around. I was more friends with BD and and friends of Max. You know, um, me and Mac definitely had a, a relationship, and and you know, I would say a, a friendship, um, but it, it wasn't. You know, it sometimes it can get blown out of proportion by people. I was just in the mix. You know, I mean, I was just in the mix. And if you were in the mix, it might have looked like, you know, other things were going on. But I was just really around, bro. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. some of the artists that were in Most Dope, you know, his original collective were some really good friends of mine. And, you know, I didn't try to I didn't try to, like, use that as leverage to get closer to Mac. I was just existing in the the space that I existed. I didn't want anything from anyone. I wasn't trying to be around anyone but my friends. And naturally, you know, you just become friends with people, you know, and opportunities just kind of arise out of that. Like, uh, you know, like I was saying that this, um, this photographer can't make it. Can you come? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hey, we need an article written on, who most dope is and uh the members of it and a little bio about each one can you write that for us sure you know and sometimes i took that on myself and uh you know i was a pretty for my age and where music journalism on an independent independent level was at at the time i was a pretty good writer so i could cover certain topics and i i could put certain words in there do press releases for people and it was it was all about just me adding value to people and then just like not really looking for anything in return this is just what i love to do and i love to be a part of it so you know there there's no like <laughs> i get a lot of like dms from people a lot who might know me through some connection to mac like asking for these secret unreleased mac songs <laughs> billy Hoyle on mac songs i'm just like bro you know like i you know i wish they exist but mm-hmm. they don't we, we didn't work on a music level i have a lot of remixes of of mac tracks that i may or may not put out you know i have to like talk to certain friends of mine and mac to see if there would be like a blessing to put those out and things of that nature. But, you know, I was always really tighter with BD out of that. Me and, me and BD were closer in age um, at the time. I mean, always, but you know, I, I met Mac when he was like 16. I was 18 and BD was 20. Mm-hmm. So as an 18 year old, naturally, like I kind of gravitated more towards the 20 year old than I did someone who was 16, Yeah, you know? And what's crazy about that is I'm actually, it's it's like to the day, uh, the age difference between me and Beatty and me and Mac, because Mac and Beatty were born on the same day, January 19th, just four years apart. Oh, wow. But I was like right smack dab in the middle. Um, you know, when you're 18, like a two-year age difference 
is a lot bigger deal than when you're in your mid or late 20s or anything like that, you know? Um, so I was around Beatty, but, you know, we were all just friends. We were all just in the mix. Like, everything that happened with Mac was just really organic. So, and we might, it might have just been a little bit close to our, our nose. Like, Mac was was way bigger than a lot of us realized until maybe we went to an out-of-town show with Mac and there was like 150 kids lined up around the block and all of a sudden you, you're like, holy fuck, like Mac's like super popping. <laughs> like we knew, we knew he was popping, but when you really see it, you know, you're just seeing like the internet, but when you see it in real life and, you know, you're like, Oh uh, yeah, I'm just here like taking photos or I'm just here hanging out with my boys. And then you have random kids coming up to you just like dying to get to know you. That's when it really set in. It's like, holy fuck. Why did these people want anything to do with me? Well, I'm not that interesting. And that's really like when it sets in like how huge Mac is, you know? And that was like, that was probably like, I forget what tour was after kids or anything like that, but that was like that tour. You would, you know, you might pop out of town with them for just one night and you see these kids and just how they're flocking to Mac and, and they're not just kids from Pittsburgh, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, the, the size of the city and just like the general mentality around here, I would say is, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but it, until you really see it outside of Pittsburgh, you just assume, ah, uh, yeah, they're, you know, people just want to assume, ah, uh, yeah, they're just doing their thing in Pittsburgh. But like once you see it outside and you see these shows and, and, and packing shows and people just dying to meet you because they know that you hopped out of the bus with, with Mac and his people and everything. And you're, and you're like, these are just my buddies, you know, that's when, that's when it really set in what was going on. Yeah. And like to kind of further go into it, like what was it like with you, BD and Mac, like, you know, in the bus, like moments before you hop out, like as you're pulling into these venues and you see all these people, like, you know, chomping at the bit for a photo with, of Mac, with Mac, of you guys, you know, like, and you're young kids, you know, you guys are still in your mm -hmm. young 20s and stuff. You probably have never been in that kind of environment before I take it. And like, yeah, just kind of, bro, like, how is that in terms of like your relationship with him, with BD as well, obviously, like how, how much closer and like, you know, do you think that made the three of you? Uh, you know, when, when you're that age, the, the age that I'm at now, I look back at that and I'm like, oh, we were kids. But when you're, when you're living at that like in that time and place you know you're like oh we're some grown-ass men um so you know we didn't really think at, about us being kids you know we thought of ourselves as men and this is what we were supposed to do um but you know when mac and Beatty went solo they went solo so when i would hop in a car with someone the, the few times that I did to meet with Mac and them out of state, you know, BD wasn't always there. Um, BD had his own career. You know, BD was on his own tours and doing his own thing at that time. So, you know, most of the time I would be with BD out of state or out of city and he was doing his thing and he was killing it. And then, you know, one weekend I might go chill with, with Mac and them wherever they were. So there, there weren't really those moments where it was like 
the three of us or, you know, me, BD, Mac, Will, Bill, Q, Tree J or anything like Jimmy, anything like that. It, it was all kind of just, you know, separate. There, there was a lot of us. It, you go to an out-of-town show or something, it might be 20 heads from Pittsburgh are pulling up. So, you know, we might have taken six cars or something. Um, and then as it went on and there were tour buses and tour vans and things like that, like there was just a lot of other people around at that time. Like I remember the blue slide parked for, I think it was, we were in Columbus, Ohio, you know, I was, I was tailing along uh, on those couple dates in Ohio when Mac dropped um, his mixtape, Thank you. I got to look it up real quick. It was, I forget the exact name of it, but it has some Ninth Wonders, some Premiere on there, some DJ Premiere, which was really, really crazy. Uh, It's called I Love Life. Thank you. It's a mixtape by Mac Miller. But, you know, we were on the bus when he pressed enter um, to upload that. That was in 2011. And, you know, I'm looking around the bus. I'm like a 20-year-old kid, maybe 21, could barely drink. And Casey Veggies is to your left. This other person's here and everything. And you're just like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know what I mean? Like, what am I doing here? This doesn't really make any sense. So, I mean, it just, all that stuff seems like a lifetime ago. And, you know, in that moment, you just kind of started to see where, his life was going, what was going on. Like, I remember the Macadelic release party. We're, there's this like legend, there's this legendary spot in Pittsburgh called Shadow Lounge. And that was just like, for performance wise, that was the Mecca of Pittsburgh hip hop. Like, Raekwon and Ghost would roll up. Like, whoever was in town, like, if you wanted real hip hop, that's where you were going. It was packed out. There were cyphers in the back alley. Boys were really getting it. Like, they were, that culture you know the culture it wasn't just going to a studio and i have 16 bars and eight bar hook like people were really living that shit in back alleys in pittsburgh and somebody would be break dancing and somebody would be catching wreck on a wall and tagging shit (laughs) boys would be all lit up you know and i remember being there for mac releasing macadelic like we're all in the basement and you know you just nowadays you can look back and I remember who was in that basement when he was pressing upload for Macadelic. And then you remember who was there when he was pressing upload for this, I love life, thank you. And, you know, Matt didn't change. The people around him didn't change. It was just, you know, his life was was different. You know, so a, a lot of that stuff is like kind of blurry. You know, we weren't taking as many mental snapshots. I was probably like super hammered. Um <laughs> You know, so there, there's definitely pictures from those days and, and things like that out and around. I don't have most of them. I'm sure somebody does. But a lot of the, like, the reconnection and stuff happened in maybe, like, 2014. Me and BB would be at the studio. We'd be at ID Labs working with, you know, maybe Big Germ or J-Card and Mac and Trije and Q and Will would be in room B working with Ethan or might be working with Big Germ if we were working with J-Card. And, you you know, 
pop out of the pop out of the studio and you run into whomever and be like, oh, shit, I didn't know you guys were in here. What are you getting to after? Oh, we're going to William Penn Tavern pull up. And then next thing you know, we'd be at we'd be at this bar and there'd be just 20 of our friends hanging out and drinking. And like, I don't know, you didn't think about it as anything other than a bunch of your friends getting together and hanging out. Yeah. It, 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 it That could sound like head ass to people, but that's what it was. You know, you've known these people forever at that point, like, you know, five, six years seems like a lifetime when you're 19 years old, 20 years old, you know, you've just known these people. So you don't always view it the same way. You know, people sometimes ask me that question. What was it like? and can be a little disappointed by the answer because it's just what it was like, you know, and those were just dudes you knew from around the way you all hung out. And, and that's just their career at the time was just, you know? Yeah. No, I, I get where you're coming from like a hundred percent and I get what you're saying too, but that's, it's the truth, you know? Um, yeah. man. Yeah. Was it like that with Wiz too, or like how how did you how did you kind of get uh, in line with Wiz? I mean, like you were saying earlier, it's it is a small city, so was it similar <laughs> in terms of just like right place, right time, or nah? Yeah, I mean, more or less. You know, Wiz is a few years older than me, and um, but it, dude, like honestly, most answers to those type of questions with anyone, time bomb's always going to be like the epicenter of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like in Pittsburgh, like when before the you could really blow up off of just social media and you need to be established in your local scene, you had to be like stamped by brick at Time Bomb. So, you know, if you were a rapper in Pittsburgh and you knew anything or were making any moves, you were coming to us at Time Bomb. I wasn't there when Wiz first started doing that because I was too young. Um, but just naturally working there and just being around, like, you know, Wiz would just come into shop or, you know, the dudes from Taylor gang would come in and just kick it with brick and just chop game with me and brick and Katie and and stuff like that. But, uh, the actual stuff I did for Wiz, I didn't really like necessarily work with him. He was doing the day to day videos at the time and I was doing the music for that. That just came from being around, bro, and people knowing that I made beats. And rather than them reaching out to someone or getting random beats, they'd be like, well, let's get some beats off. You know, these dudes that we know from Pittsburgh who make music, uh, make good music, like maybe they looked at us as like the premier producers, but that's what they wanted to put in the day-to-day videos. So their videographers would hit up me to get a pack of beats to see what would fit in that day-to-day vlog video and dudes like uh christo christo's the producer for the dude jid jid and like earth gang um you know his beats would be in there and then um another friend of mine ricky p um who's a taylor gang producer and artist you know, we were like three dudes at the time that they were getting beats off for these day-to-day videos. And that just came from, you know, I don't even know if Wiz knew at the time who everybody was getting the beats off of. I know he heard them and, and everything like that afterwards. But, you know, when you're as big as Wiz is, 
decisions like that are always, you know, you're delegating that responsibility to someone else. He's probably just saying to whomever, just, hey, who's dope in Pittsburgh? Hit them up for a pack of beats and then whatever, whatever. And uh, from that, you know, Ricky went on to work with Chevy and, and Wiz and everything like that. Christo went on to work with some other artists in Pittsburgh, such as Hardo. And then ultimately he landed with, uh, with Jid, which they make fucking incredible music together. That dude's Christo's Christo and Ricky P are both absolutely amazing, um, producers and artists. And, you know, that's kind of how the Wiz thing came together. It wasn't Wiz hitting me up. It was just, you know, I was in this, not to sound, again, like head-ass, but I was in this inner circle of people, you know, and being in that inner circle, opportunities just arise. So, you know, someone reached out to me and was like, hey, Wiz is doing a new season of the day-to-day videos. Um, You know, we'd love it if you could send a pack of beats in. And I sent a pack of beats in and just hoped for the best. And then just what, you know, just watched every episode from there like I would have been doing anyways. And then I'm like, oh, shit, that I made that beat. That's just how that came together, you know? Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, I wanted to let you talk about um, some recent music uh, that you've been able to put out. Um, obviously, you're just talking about BD. Um, and I didn't realize you have known BD for like as long as you had. Um, you just, you helped him put out the album beat bully hoyle um so when did it drop first of all um that was march i believe 18th of this year of 2021 yeah that was like our collaborative album you know like how madlib would have like half the rapper's name half his name or or jlib with jay dilla that's just what we did with with our album um so we called it the beat bully beat bully hoyle um because like actually oddly enough 10 years ago bd put out his debut debut solo project the beat bully that was always like bd's nickname and persona was was the beat bully because you know he had this aggressive in your face grown man rap style so he was the beat bully and then, you know, when we started working on that album, he just happened to say on one of the tracks, like, Beat Bully Hoyle, and it just stuck. You know, that stuck for, for that. But, yeah, that, that dropped in, I believe, March 18th of this year, 2021. Cool. And how has your rollout been? Like, how was, how was making the album? Like, how long did it take to kind of put that project mm. together when it started, you know? Yeah. Uh, the rollout was incredible, man. Like I, I've gotten compliments on the music itself, obviously, and we've gotten a lot of compliments on just how we rolled it out. You know, we collabed with a uh, a really big clothing brand from Pittsburgh, Daily Bread, on a shirt. We had some other merch, and I hooked us up with a. You know, we linked up with, excuse me, a hot sauce company to have our own hot sauce, the Beat Bully Hoyle. Um, mango habanero hot sauce um so that was you know that just that alone like drew a lot of eyes um wait a hot, hold on a hot sauce yeah yeah we put <laughs> out a hot sauce i have to send you one i meant yeah. to bring some um when i was in chicago um 
and they're just at BD's house. I, I don't have any more at my crib, so I, I just forgot that. But I do got to send you, Kendall, and Tinley some, um, and, and, and whomever else. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, we put out a hot sauce with it. You know, we were just we were just moving pretty different um, than how some people were moving at the time. And the reception's been great, bro. Like that was that came out, you know, about two months ago now. And it's still growing every day. Like, I still get new people, multiple new people every day hitting me up about it, new people finding it. It's it's had, like, a really, really amazing organic reach, you know? Um, but as far as, like, when that started, when we started on that, um, you know, BD at one point had kind of stepped away from music for, for a little bit, like a, a couple of years. His solo career was going really really well and then like a, f- a few certain things happened and at the time the best thing for him to do was just to step away from music and you know your music is an extension of you like this art is just an extension of you and if who you are presently um you know if it just for one reason or another you know you're in it you're in a space mentally that you you know, you don't want to be in, you, you just got to get who you are right, you know, find that again before you can, you can get into music. So BD kind of stepped away from music a little indefinitely. I, I didn't really know if he was going to get back. Um, that's one of my best friends in the world. So even during that like three year period where he wasn't necessarily putting out music, him and I were still hanging out a lot and, and we're still very tight. And I just got to a point with making beats where I was, you know, <laughs> me and BD had made beats together for years and I would be on tour with him and we would be doing our thing. But, you know, my beats really weren't good enough for BD, just to be completely honest at the point. Like he was working with dudes like Static Selecta and stuff like that. And, and I definitely wasn't on a level um, musically uh, to keep up with that, you know, he had a lot of producers around him who were way better than me. Um, but around like January 2019, you know, I was playing on beats again and he was kind of getting the itch to come back. And, you know, lo and behold, that's really when we started working on the album, even though we weren't necessarily aware of it at the time. Um, and, you know, over those two years, we didn't just make beat bully Hoyle. Like there's a lot, a lot like so much unreleased music from that time that like, you know, we might put on other projects. We might, you know, reevaluate things like that. So it wasn't like two, two years to make an album. It was just two years of making music. And then within that music, finding an album. And it probably would have came out about a year ago, but then the pandemic happened and, and, you know, we just couldn't really, finish it we had the album honestly pretty much finished but we couldn't physically get into the studio with our engineer to put the polishing you know the final touches on it right right um i want to talk about uh jams um obviously recently uh jams went out to pittsburgh um and and worked on his project made with love um with you and you, you you recently were in chicago um, to kind of start the rollout for it, down bad, lemon tree, um, yeah, you know, dropped recently, and 
you know, just kind of talk about working with Jams, bro, and like where you see him going and, and, and also just like his music, how it is just like totally not what you're kind of seeing from artists right now, um, like at all. And, you know, just, just go into some detail about where you can kind of see Jams ending up, you know? For sure. Yeah, I mean, dude, it, to, to go back to actually how I know Jams is just to kind of like talk about how like, everything comes full fucking circle and um you know when when things start falling into place it's hard not to like it's hard to just not believe in yourself and what's going on because the way i know jams is from my blog like when my blog started getting like a pretty big reach dudes you know who outside of pittsburgh and things like that started reaching out to me for for posting which i'm sure you're very familiar with you know like once you start making a name for yourself just more people start to come around they they see the value in what you're doing they want to be a part of it and you know jams was like one of the first artists that i remember reaching out to me for editorials and things like that who like had his shit together you know what I mean? Like, I had a lot of people hitting me up who, regardless of their music, like, their approach was just a little bit off. You know, they weren't there there yet. You know, this is all just a learning experience. Um, and those people were just a little bit behind jams at the time. And then we developed, like, a friendship out of that. We would communicate often. And then the one day, you know, I don't know how it came about, but jams must have sent me something to post and he included his age and I was like blown away because he was only 18 you know and he was sending me these like extremely professional he was sending me professional emails professional music and professional videos and you know I was blogging a lot of people that I didn't know personally and Jams was one of those people that I was blogging that I, I felt like I knew personally, even though we had never met in person, but we had like a friendship that was like next level compared to a lot of people that were sending me things. And, you know, at, at a certain point I stepped away from the blog stuff and was just full-time focusing on beats and Jams, uh, you know, was, was just continuing to push on and things like that. And we just kind of fell out of touch. Um, you know, we just fell out of touch. It was kind of the times we were living in, you know, Jams can, I'm sure you and Jams have talked about it, but he didn't necessarily like where music was at at the time, where hip hop was, and he was kind of refining himself. And him and I were both just kind of going through transitional periods at the same time and just kind of fell out of contact for a few years. Right, right. Then about like a year and a half, two years ago, we bumped into each other just on Instagram, um, and just started like connecting again just like yo it's it's amazing to see that you're still doing this like you're killing it it's great to see that you're still progressing and you know when i originally knew jams i don't even think he knew i made beats so for him to like bump in me a few years later and i have a few albums out and i'm working with people and uh it was just like again like this really organic natural thing we happen to bump into each other um, exchange some music that we were working on. And then the one day he hit me up and was like, Hey man, like, I, I think we, we can make some really good music together. I love your sound. I think it's really unique. I think, you know, I have a unique sound. I think we'll go really well together. 
I would love to come out to Pittsburgh and, and work with you. And I mean, that really, it just started from there, bro. We just kept emailing music back and forth. We were getting records done. And then like last October, October, 2020, he was like, Hey, you know, I, I wasn't bullshitting. I really want to come out to Pittsburgh and work with you. And he came and he stayed with me for like maybe four or five days. And we didn't like really make much music, bro. To be honest, like that first trip was just really like us getting to really know each other. You know, we felt like we knew each other, but people can be someone different um, online or anything like that. And that was really just us looking each other in the eye. And, and being like, yo, like you're you're a super thorough dude. Like you have this, your mind for this, like your ear for this, is is what I'm looking for in an artist, and and vice versa, and producer. And so that first trip, you know, it we just like we really bonded. It was like a bonding experience. Like leading up to that, I would talk to jams probably like once a week on the phone for like four hours just because it's really fucking, you know, it, it's rare to like find someone whose mind's exactly where you are. And like, uh, we had both kind of like elevated our skill and our business mindset and everything right around the same time. And in Pittsburgh, like, you know, I knew a lot of people, a lot of people had gone on to do other things or different directions in their music and it was really just like me and BD were working together all the time and our mind was in the same place. And then James, you know, came in and it was like, holy fuck, I have another person I can talk to about this who thinks the same way I do, who hears music, other people's music the same way I do, that looks at people's rollouts, that looks at people's videos a certain way, that understand what they're doing on social media. And, you know, we got really, really close through that. And then that first trip was us just like kind of cementing, yeah, we're fucking doing this. Like nothing's going to stop us. Let's take over the world. Um, He went back to Chicago for a few months. And then at the top of the year, January, he came out and stayed with me for, for two months in Pittsburgh. We were in the studio pretty much every day, like six to eight hours a day at, at ID labs, just putting in that work, coming back to my crib, planning on taking over the world and, and how we're going to do this and put this out and making beats at my crib and then hitting the studio the next day, like I said, six to eight hours making those songs. And then, um, you know, sitting with E. Dan and finishing up that project, you know, yeah. um, just like an absolutely amazing experience. Just like being there with someone who's so focused and has their head in the right direction and really, really understands this shit. You know, there's a lot of people that do music that haven't come to the understanding that jams has come to yet with music. And and he's got such an interesting perspective on things. And like, you know, he's James just, I I mean, I know, you know, but jams has just such a amazing energy around him. You know, like you meet jams and like, you know, you want to be around James, you, you know, like, there's there's not a lot of people out there like that like that's a really really special person at that point and um we just we just clicked man you know he brought out tinley and kendall and like i instantly loved those dudes those were two other people that like man for for as young as you guys are as young as they are you know you as well but 
for what you guys are doing, bro, like, it's incredible. When I was your age, like, people weren't doing it like that. Like, you know, people maybe they were, and, and I wasn't aware of it, but, like, you guys, you know, Timmy and Kendall, bro, like, their eye for shit, like, what they can do and how well-rounded they are is it, just, like, you know, I... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I know I what you're saying, bro. Like Tinley and Kendall, just tell James that you know. Yeah, <laughs> Tinley and Kendall, bro. Like their age is deceiving. Like they're veterans at this shit. You know, like they've been doing this shit respectively bro. for like six, seven years. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. You you can tell like immediately. Yeah, and with everything that you have going on, it, again, it's just like you hear your guys' age, and you're just like, oh fuck, man, these boys are getting it. Like, and that, bro, that's just exciting to be around. Yeah. I don't know anyone who does this shit that wouldn't be wouldn't want to be around around people like that. That's what you want, you know. You're a reflection of the people you're around, um, for the most part. Yeah, man. And everyone I, I met through through jams was just good people and just like so extremely talented at what they do. Um, I mean, the experience with James and like you know, ultimately the most important thing is our music together and and the music we've put out together. I'm like I believe in it so much and and it's done really really well it's been really really well received you know yeah bro the, the, the lead singles like Down Bad and Lemon and Lemon Tree bro like they've been kicking ass for jams and obviously you too yeah. and it's been great to see like from the side because it's just like I know and obviously you know this too what's coming on and like you know it's really just kind of like a snippet of like what jams is really rolling out this year and, like, as much as you're talking about with Jams, like, you know, he, yeah, like, his energy, like, you want to be around him. And it's, like, there's so many people like that. But I think what really, really separates Jams, bro, from, like, a lot of artists is, like, dude, his intelligence with it. You know, like, he, he just knows, like, what an artist needs rather than just, like, ah, I need fire-ass beats. I need a f- dope-ass visual. Like, nah, I need, like, five people, like, in on the, like, back a house of it who are like behind the curtains of the scene who people don't know that can help me get shit done and like help me move here and help me get these connections and it's just like that's a credit to jams bro like out of a lot obviously i've worked with a handful amount of people at this point you've worked with a ton and like you know my team like i appreciate you throwing flowers to the people i'm around every day you know like it goes a long way they've been around a lot of people at different levels of this shit too and we always say it all the time privately we have never seen a motherfucker work the way he does in terms of like knowing all these people and putting the time in bro like the authentic time in you know it's like it's really incredible to see like what he's gonna do and it's just like the doors he'll knock down like when they're knocked down like he's gonna be going through them so fucking fast bro it's gonna be really crazy Um, yeah bro he has like i hate to like say it this way because ultimately like uh, you know, I'm first and foremost about the music, but like that, like that dude just has like a, a ton of star power. You know, I, I hate to use that term and thing throw that term around, but like he has it. Like you know, he understands the music. He makes incredible music. He understands everything that goes around around that. Like your music. You know, as, as you get more and more involved in things, you realize that the the music is a fraction of everything, and he understands that. And like you said, like he's just such an intelligent dude with it all. You know, he's really a student of the game. He's really, really a student. Like that was the thing. Like when we first got together, and he was breaking things down the same way I 
break things down to people. But a lot of times when I break it down to people, they look at me kind of crazy. But when I broke it down to jams, like he, he was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, that's rare to find. He's such a, he's such a smart dude with it, man. And like, I learned so much from him. Yeah. Yeah. I have too, man. And, and the, like, I haven't known him for as long as you have, but I'm, I'm blessed with the time I've met him for real because he, he's been, he's been a treat to work with. And like, he's really taught me a lot too. And just like, damn, like, you know, a lot of different lessons in terms of like how to work with artists, how to make things like, you know, less or more presentable and like just mm-hmm. approachment too. I mean, he, he's just great, bro. In terms of like, you know, in terms of other people who work with him, it's like, you know, we all have the same experience, bro, of just like absolutely terrific, you know, like time and like enjoyment working with his ass. And not that other people that we've worked with hasn't been enjoyable at all, but it's just yeah. like there's something about working with jams where it's just like, damn, bro, like, you, you know, you don't really know the time, you don't notice how time's moving when you're with it. And like, not that that, you know, that sounds sus as hell maybe to some people, but it's true. It's just like the dude has yeah. this type of like or energy around him when you're working where it's like damn bro this almost doesn't feel like work it really feels like a homie's kicking it session or like we're just chilling and vibing it's like again that's a credit to how he handles himself and and in this scene and with his career bro for real absolutely and like you were saying it's not a knock to anyone else you know what i mean yeah it absolutely isn't it's just that's where he is and a lot of the other artists we work with or around you know might get there but he just he's really leveled up you know, he, he really just gets it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I wanted to ask you about um, Refresh PDF, dude, and yeah. your sneaker, your sneaker knowledge. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what are your what are your top three Jordan models? Like not colorways, just like, mm-hmm. all right, like I got to pick three Jordan models. Like these are my stand models. Like which one are you going for? Fours, threes and ones. Bro, why is that the most common answer? Like I, I like when I ask that question to other sneakerheads, it's not in that particular order, but it's always like, yeah, man, ones, threes, and fours, like for sure. Like I don't hear elevens anymore, bro. Like when I first got into sneakers, like 2010, 2011, everybody, bro, I feel like it was the Space Jams, the Concords, or the Breads, like. That yeah. that model was like in the top three. I feel like it's fallen out of the top three, bro. I feel like everybody like would grab a five almost now, like a Jordan five over an eleven. I don't know. What do you think about that? I started getting the sneakers real heavy real early. I was like twelve years old. There's this forum called Nike Talk, and and we got on there. And my favorites really might just be influenced a lot from men. Um, what was you sneaker culture so much different, bro. Like it's just, it's really like this whole other beast. Like it changed probably like Oh seven, Oh eight. Um, when Gentry took over for Tinker Hatfield. Uh, but like back in those days, like the early two thousands, when they first started retroing stuff, like you got one retro model a year, you know, like, the true blue threes, which you we were wearing at the show, like that was the first time they had ever been retro and things like that. So like you didn't have as much of a selection as there is now. Like nowadays they're going to retro everything, you know, they're, they're not to say that they're like running things into the ground necessarily or anything like that. But back then it was just, it, it it was just different, man. I, I don't necessarily. No, I know, know what you're saying. Like the nostalgia, 
the nostalgic factor of like collecting Jordans is gone, bro. It, it yeah. I took a, like I was the same way, bro. Like I, I was huge into Jordans, like that. Like you know, I was a sports guy, and like you know, people listening or whatever might know. Like I was supposed to go into sports. I was not supposed to go into music, but. Jordans is a is a thing in culture that that's everywhere. You know what I mean? And like I I, I was into shoes, bro, so young. And, and when I was into it, it was about the fact that like, damn, bro, like these shoes came out in '06 and they're fucking hard. You know what I mean? Because they came out in '06 and it's like the fact of putting a sneaker on and the midsole was factory made in '05. You know what I mean? And it's still wearable in 2015. Like there was something about that to me that's gone like you don't see that either in sneakers now yeah. i feel like you just see like all right what's hype like what what's hype wear like what what are the tiktokers trying to put on their feet you know what <laughs> i mean and it's like that sucks because i feel like the we've gone away from like what was cool with jordan you know what i mean the guy who started jordans and like um even when the nike basketball shit like when that peaked you know what i mean like it was about like what the athletes had and what the athletes were wearing and the samples and like now it's just like samples is a whole nother market you know i like they, they were never gonna lose their value but the the whole era of like damn bro i had this retro from like 2011 and like you know they're not as like hype nobody probably even fucking knows the name but that's gone in sneakers and it kind of sucks bro i feel like you know i know you can relate to it because you've been doing sneakers for a long time but it sucks yeah i mean there, there's good and there's bad uh, you know um it's hard to like necessarily like look at today's current sneaker call culture and uh, for me and look at it with any type of negative light because things just change, man, you know, and as you get older, you just kind of become more understanding of that. And it makes those previous years like that much more special to you. Um, you know, you, you kind of just start to roll with the punches and be like, this is what it is now. And it's amazing because so many people were into it. Like when I first started getting into it, it was real niche and counterculture. Like there was only other one other kid in my school who understood it. It was my best friend since I was 10 years old and we got into it together, you know, and you're looked at, you're looked at super crazy for, for, you know, just thinking about sneakers as much as we do, spending time on these former forums discussing them, spending the type of money we were spending at the age and not really just being like, you know, if I want one gift for Christmas or something, I want it to be this and and just accepting that or saving all your money just for this shoe. Um, it's changed a lot, man. You know, it, it's way more widely accepted um, there's a lot more people into it. And in a lot of ways, that's that's fucking great, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, man. I'm just, I don't want to sound like a, <laughs> a curmudgeon about it, like, you know? No, but, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure, like, I don't know, with me, it's just, like, I never really gave a fuck about what other people like and what's hype and <laughs> what's not. Like, I'm going to just buy the colorways of shit and the models that I fuck with, you know? But... Um, For sure. It's definitely interesting to just see how the, the culture has changed just dramatically. And like it almost yeah. died, bro. Like I feel like Jordan reselling, like when they were when they were at the point like in 16, 17, 18, just dropping mm -hmm. almost like two retros a Saturday, you know, and yeah. 
they were sitting for months. Like it really looked like, all right, man, Jordan culture is about to die. And it's to their credit, they've kind of rebounded a little bit in terms of making stuff a little more exclusive, not maybe doing a drop every week, doing more women's colorways too. And like they just did the unisex drop um, with those threes that like are super fire. And also like using off colors, like they didn't use like, I don't know, more like, you know, streetwear colors. Like it was very like athlete, like red, blues and, and black and grays for the longest. And like now it, it, I feel like they're they're heading in a better direction, but it was scary yeah. for a minute. Yeah, I, I think like, uh, you know, I've, I've just seen that cycle a few times. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it's not to bring in like the crypto stuff or anything like that but you see those dips and those rises Mm -hmm. and things like that with everything and uh you know sneakers especially because it does become something that gets really really hype and people are into it and naturally like a lot of those people are people that it is a phase for them and it's just gonna you know run its course over two or three years and then they're gonna back away from it and things like that um you know but yeah that that's just kind of like the natural progression of those things i think yeah Um, but yeah i mean like the four threes and ones (laughs) the real reason for those is like because they're just super wearable to me you know what i mean like you can wear a four with anything you can wear one you know they're a little bit more uh casual in this day and age with how far sneaker technology has gone um but like (laughs) i love 15s and i used to get shit on for 15s all the time um like 17s are some of my favorite like sleeper jordan picks all time like the 17 lows white in carolina like if i see those pop up i'm grabbing them like i get steals on those like i'll get a pair of like like an eight out of 10 17 low for like 70 bucks wow. you know what yeah. i mean because yeah. it's just people are just like they're people who 10 15 years ago whenever they came out bought them and maybe they were rowing the sneakers at the time and then they just phased out and eventually they're like i just gotta get rid of these yeah. you know and, and things like that like 17s 18s even 19s like i bought a pair of 19 like the southwest 19s uh which were like the 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 red colorway and it's like bro i'm probably never gonna wear them you know what i mean mm-hmm. i just got them like 80 bucks because it was one of those things like some dude just bought them when they dropped and you know not into sneakers anymore just get rid of them but like 19s i feel like are some of the most hated jordans of all time but like I have damn near every OG colorway that dropped in them because they dropped when I was in seventh or eighth grade. And there's like this special connection to me because that's when I, I, you know, maybe first started having the money to buy shoes and things like that. But yeah, I, I think with the fours, threes and ones, one, there's like that nostalgia factor. The twos get skipped over a lot. How do they do, bro? I love twos. I, I definitely love twos, but when you put those up to a one, a three, or a four, they're just they're not my my favorites uh, out of those fours. But like the biggest sneakerhead I know, uh, DJ Battle Monkey. He's this dude from Pittsburgh that like uh, would blow your mind if, if you step foot in his crib. Um, 
uh, his favorite Jordan, if I'm not mistaken, is the two. You know what I mean? Like, there's heads out there who you'll find somebody who's, you know, always going to have, like, a favorite that you would never think of. Um, which is, like, the fucking greatest part of anything is there's always going to be hive minds around anything, but then you'll you'll find, like, the super authentic dude that was, like, you know, nah, like, the twos are my favorite. Nothing can touch the two. And you're just kind of like, I don't get it. I can't argue with you because, like, you're, you're like, the true OG of this. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's just personal attachment to things. Like, the first pair of Jordans I ever bought with my own money were a pair of Fords. The first retros that I ever remember dropping were the True Blue Threes in like 03. And they were like the only colorway to only retro to drop. And then the ones to me at this point are just like you can rock a pair of ones with pretty much anything and like ones do look good like distressed. Like you could beat a pair of ones and like they look fucking great you like in my opinion you start beating a pair of fives and it just looks like you gotta beat a pair of shoes on you yeah, know but like no, right. ones almost get better with age just like wine and shit like that you know i think that's the case for one to fours too like if you had to put, put like put me on the spot with like my three most underrated models and we're going like one to 14 i gotta put the twos in there Mm-hmm. I gotta throw the nines in there, bro. Like the nines and the like the eights. Um, I love the eights. The tens are underrated. Like there's so many. Like I feel like models just get slept on because it's not like they're not the hype five or six models. You know what I'm saying? Hundred percent. And like red elevens were my grail pair when I was a kid. Um, first time they retroed those, I believe, was uh, 2001. So it was like the year before I got into them and uh, they were just like, there were a lot of people grailed. And then like at one point they started retroing those a lot. It seemed like almost every Christmas breads were dropping again and the effect kind of wore off of it. And while I love just like the 11 itself, like as a silhouette and I love the patent leather and I love everything that goes into it, you know, it, they just don't really always go with what I'm trying to wear, how I dress necessarily. And I have a lot of pairs of 11s. I have like three pairs of bread 11s. You know, I have multiple cords, pairs of Concords and Space Jams. Not that I don't have the other models too, but it's like I have them, they redo them. They don't always go, you know, they're in the lot. You know, you can't wear them with everything. And just, yeah, somewhere along the line, they just kind of like, uh, some uh, some some connection of me to them just you know i started to get further away from it but yeah i mean 11s were probably my you know bread 11s when i was a kid were like the end all be all of sneaker culture like if you were on nike talk back then and you were looking in there that was like yeah i mean it was just those sneakers are so special they're so special yeah you know yeah, bro. I feel like we only really hear about that now, though, when, like, the drop comes and, like, it's December of, you know, the holiday year and their holiday 11's coming out. You know what I mean? I just feel like there's yeah. that loss for the 11, bro, in terms of, like, ah, like, it's not, like, debated with the one. Because it was debated with the one. Like, that's the thing yeah. is, like, people debated having an 11, a patent leather sneaker over, like, an all-leather fours or threes or ones. <laughs> 
because it was just that iconic and nostalgic and classic. And I just think that that's gone now. Like, I don't feel like we see that as much. You know, obviously, motherfuckers is wearing 11s and like they're hyped and they're, they have resell. But in terms of like, hey, what's on people's feet and like what's getting flipped more? Oh, man, like ones, threes, fours, even fives. You know what I mean? I would say right now, just because of the Raging Bulls that came out, obviously the black metallics mm-hmm. and like, you know, Virgil touched two off-white colorways of them. So, yeah. you know, those are going to be moving. So, Yeah, no, I, 100%, man. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with like all of that. Um, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. It, but, like the collaborations are real crazy to me too. As uh, like a lot of things that come out now, I do get in this mindset where I'm just like, they literally just took, you know, there were, there used to be a million variant or fake websites back in the day that you would accidentally stumble upon and they'd have 20 colorways of dub zeros with SpongeBob on the side. Or they'd have these really (laughs) ridiculous colorways. And at some point it seemed like Jordan started looking at those websites and was like, fuck it, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, you'll see those, like, certain colorways come out now. And, you know, I see it, and I'm just like, even, like, bro, even those red Flint 13s, like, bro, I remember those, like, exactly, like, on fake websites in 2005, 2006. And it's just, they come out, and they're hard as hell, but sometimes I just can't detach myself from that used to be the, the front page of like a a fake sneaker website back in the day or you know people would buy those and they'd fall fall apart or like around here we have the sneaker man people go down to the sneaker man you know buy buy fake jordans for 50 dollars and shit like that (laughs) those all the colorways but yeah so i mean there's a lot that goes into it like like i said the major changeover for me is when uh tinker left and and that happened, and then that's when you started to see all the the countdown packages came. And that year, it was like, you know, the one and the 22s came out in the package, the, the twos and the 21s, the threes and the 20s. And then that year, literally every sneaker dropped. Yeah. And there were classic colorways, and they were dope, and I grabbed a lot of those. But that was just kind of like, that was a real transitional period for that brand. And, you know, you kind of saw things changing from there. Yeah, man. Well, I don't really got um, any other questions. I want to. I'm just gonna wrap this up. Can you shout oh. shout yourself out? Tell people where to follow you on social media and where they can listen to your music. Yeah, man. Uh, my name is Billy Hoyle. My all my socials are at Billy underscore Hoyle four one two. Hoyle is spelled H O Y L E. Uh, you can find me on all streaming platforms. Just search him Billy Hoyle. I'll pop up. Uh, same with YouTube. You know, I do a lot of remixes and creative videos that really only exist on YouTube. Um, and you know, I have a I have a pretty good Bandcamp following. My my Bandcamp is just BillyHoyle.Bandcamp.com. Cool man. Um, well, this was the Culture Capture Spotlight Podcast. Um, I'm Joe. I was joined by Billy Hoyle today. Um, and we're out. Thank you guys again for listening and tune in next week for the second episode.